here's where we're at in the series. We have one week left. Next week, we're wrapping it up. And tonight, it's kind of the end of the topics, the lessons, the talks, whatever you want to call this. And next week, we are going to do, um, we're just going to do a question and answer time on this, on this topic or on this theme or whatever. Anything goes. We don't get to all of your questions, so anything goes unless Ben doesn't pick your question next week or something. But there's going to be like a panel up here of some of the adult leaders. And to the best of our ability, we want to take all of those seriously and try to answer them as best we can. So we'll have some married people, at least one single person, or maybe a couple single people. Um, so that's next week. It'll be really, really practical. And maybe we'll shake down some of the questions you have about this that we aren't addressing in the topics. I know I said this last week, but hear me say this again. We've said that we're doing this series not, it's really not at least only geared toward those of you who are currently dating. We're doing this series right now, and it's geared at all, all of you who will date someone eventually, okay? Which is almost all of you, or probably all of you. And I said last week, even if, even if you don't get married, you almost for sure will go on a date or a couple dates, or you will date somebody. So, um, so that's kind of future-oriented, and maybe this really applies to you if you're, uh, if you're dating someone right now, although the topic tonight as we get into it is, uh, is not exactly on this topic, but that's where we're going in this, in this series. That's what we've kind of been talking about. And so dating can be complicated, and what we've found is, even though the Bible doesn't maybe even use the word dating, I haven't searched for it, but it certainly doesn't use the word dating in this context of like boy and a girl who like each other. There are tons and tons of principles that we can apply to relationships that are so, so, so important when it comes to making wise dating decisions. And so that's what we're doing. Real quick review, week one, um, the principle we walked away with was this. By all means, when you meet someone, you need, and it's very important, to take the time to get to know the real person, what's inside the person, and not just what's on the outside. And Ben talked that week, but we said what's inside a person trumps what's on the outside, and I know that's obvious, and you've heard that before, and obviously you need to like what's on the outside of the person, and that just will happen by default. But if you don't like their character and their personality, or if it's just their, their person, their character bugs you, things probably won't go that well in that relationship. And so that was kind of the starting point. And then last week, we tackled the breakup. Dun, dun, dun. The breakup. And what, when is that supposed to happen, if ever? When should it happen? And um, somewhat, how do you do it? And how do you do it without breaking yourself or the other person? Um, how do you do it civilly and somehow in a way that honors God? And that can be done. And some of you, you've gone through breakups within the past year. Um, so the breakup. And then um, so far what we've done then is basically kind of run the cycle of a relationship. What to look for when you're starting a relationship and uh, what happens if it doesn't work out. But tonight where we're going is what about all the other times in life, after the breakup, before you even meet the person, probably where, I don't know, I'd guess 80, 85, 90% of you in here, where you find yourself right now, as a single person. What about being single? Um, what about when we're just not dating? What if we've been single for a very long time, and that frustrates us, because we don't want to be single? We're kind of, I'd love to have a girlfriend. I'd love to have a boyfriend. Why has no boy pursued me yet at this point? So what then? What happens when we're single? So if that's you, if you've been single for, the long, for a long time, if you hate the fact that we're talking about this tonight because it just reminds you of the fact that you've always been single, and again, many of you in here go, no, I'm fine being single. I don't want a boyfriend. Um, boys aren't ew, but boys are just 
boys right now, and I don't care, and I don't want to date, and I don't want to date until college or something. But if you are single and you hate it, you need to remember the Sandlot. The Sandlot. Now, a Sandlot's one of my favorite movies. Most of you were maybe pretty young when that movie came out. Uh, some of you maybe don't even know what I'm talking about. This movie, The Sandlot, was one of my favorite childhood movies, and certainly in the summertime, I want to watch it every summer. I'm not a big baseball fan, but when it comes to just summertime, I don't know, something about me, I really want to watch this movie. We only have it on a VHS tape, and I think our VCR is broken, and so I don't know what Leslie and I are going to do. How many of you have seen the movie The Sandlot? That's more than I thought. Okay, wow. So a lot of you know this plot. Let me catch you up real quick. If you don't know the movie, here's the plot. So this kid, right, moves to suburban neighborhood, takes place in the 1950s, it's in the middle of the summer, and this kid's desperate for friends, right? And he comes across this group of guys who spend the whole day playing baseball in a sandlot. And the kid, you remember this, has no athletic ability, he's, he's kind of a nerd somewhat, um, knows nothing about the game, and he's still somewhat taken in by these guys made a part of the team. They finally accept him, right? When they lose one of their final balls, they need a ball. They don't have a spare. And he snags his stepdad's ball, who, which was signed by who? Babe Ruth. Babe Ruth. You guys know this movie so well. Isn't it? That's the greatest movie. There's so many one-liners from this movie. So they grab it. Um, the ball ends up, right, in this, this guy's yard, Mr. Mr. Myrtle's yard. And it wasn't so much that Mr. Myrtle was intimidating as the fact that he had this monstrous dog that they called... The beast. Thank you. He was a monster, and they thought he was going to destroy them and rip their faces off. And um, There's this wonderful part of the movie where the dog, what's his name, the really good baseball player, like finally snags the ball, and they tear through the whole town with the beast chasing him, and they destroy a wedding cake and all this stuff. So, um, but they're like terrifying, right? The dog's terrifying, and by association, Mr. Myrtle is terrifying because he owns this, this man-eating dog. Um, whole movie turns around, right, when these kids somehow, through all these crazy circumstances, find themselves face-to-face with Mr. Myrtle. They have to get this ball back. It was signed by Babe Ruth, and it was his stepdad's. They find themselves face-to-face with Mr. Myrtle, and I think at one point, right, the beast. Like, he just, like, licks him in the face. You remember this? I think the chase scene is over. But suddenly, the boys think back on the way that they perceived this, this kind of recluse guy, this guy that they thought was crazy and old, this older man and his dog, and they realize that they've misread and misinterpreted who this guy was, everything about him, and their perspective changes, and their understanding changes. As a result, their relationship with this man and his dog changes drastically, and he loves baseball and has all this baseball stuff, and it's an awesome relationship. So what does this have to do with being single? I'll get to that in a sec, but here's the thing. All of us, at some point or another, are going to find ourselves with the single status. Like I said, most of you in here right now, I think, not all of you, but most of you are single right now. You'll find yourself, you'll, you will find yourself there. And to be honest, a lot of us don't really like wearing that single status, like I said. Some of us, it bothers us tremendously that, hey, I'm a senior and I've never had a boyfriend or girlfriend. I had a best friend live two houses down from me in my small town in Kansas, got to his senior year, and it drove him crazy that no girl had even shown interest in him. He had never had a girlfriend, and he was, he was kind of desperate, and he was going to do whatever he could. Or maybe um, it's not so much that. It's just making the switch from in a relationship to single 
on Facebook because you, you've gone through that breakup. And that is painful and humiliating, right? Maybe not, but maybe it hurts more than I can joke about it right now. For whatever reason, the word single, the status single has a stigma attached to it. And for some of us, there's really this feeling of shame or disgrace. And uh, what's even crazier is you may feel this to some degree, some level, maybe high, maybe low, in middle school and high school. You're all in high school now. But what if this takes you on into adulthood? Maybe right now you have an older sibling, they're in college, they're nearing the end of college, no boyfriend, um, and they're starting to get nervous. I was starting to get nervous. End of my junior year of high school, or of college, no girlfriend. What do you, you know, eventually, see, this single thing, this takes us into adulthood too. And maybe some of you, 10 years from now, you're going to find yourself in that place, and you start to think, am I not good enough? Do I not measure up? Why am I still single? Where are all the good guys? Why have they not pursued me? So obviously there's a problem when it comes to how we understand being single. The word doesn't sound good, it doesn't feel good, and maybe we don't like it at all. But here's my question tonight. What if all that could change? What if the problem isn't with having a single status, but it's with how we understand it? What if, like the guys in the sandlot, who came to see Mr. Myrtle and the Beast as somebody altogether different, what if we could learn that uh, there's nothing wrong with being single at all? It was, it's our view that's wrong. What if we need just a perspective change? What if we found out, like these guys did, that once our perspective changes, we can accept our single status and maybe even embrace it and maybe even like it for a longer period of time or maybe, maybe for our whole life? Who knows? It seems like people are getting married less and less. That was so concerning to me. We did a talk on marriage last year. We're not really tackling that this year, but maybe there's be a lot of us in here that just don't get married. And maybe, maybe you don't want to get married. So maybe this doesn't freak you out as much as others of you. Well, tonight, this is what we're going to do. We're going to take a look at the book of 2 Corinthians, at a little passage in 2 Corinthians. And again, while this passage is not directly, to some extent, speaking to our single status and to relationship statuses. It very well applies to that. So before I dig in, if you have a Bible, you can turn to 2 Corinthians 6. But before I dig in, I want to give you some background into what's happening at at the time this book unfolds. So the Apostle Paul wrote this. 2 Corinthians is a letter. Most of you all know this. A letter written to the Christians that were living in the city of Corinth. And um, Paul actually wrote four letters to the Corinthians. Maybe you've never heard that before. Two of them were just lost. He refers to them in some of these, the first and second Corinthians that we do have in the Bible, but two of them are lost, and so we just, we have, they just named them first Corinthians and second Corinthians. Um, But Corinth was one of the largest cities in the Roman Empire, and Paul wrote this letter at a very, very significant time. See, maybe you know that the time when Jesus lived, you guys, in, in the decades following that, were a very, very rocky time politically. And you've all studied probably the Roman Empire and the rise of the Roman Empire, in history class or whatever in school, there were constant threats of uprisings from, from persecuted groups, um, from small groups. There were uprisings. There were coups, as they say, from mistreated groups. People were always looking for some leader to kind of rescue them from this giant empire of the Romans and all that they did, which is, um, which is in fact, why so many people really honestly expected that the Israelites The Jews expected Jesus to be a militant leader. They expected him to be a military and a political leader and to take over the Roman Empire by force. 
And when Jesus was crucified, they were, I mean, they were devastated, most of the people. They, they thought that he was going to, like, deliver them from Rome and take over Rome, and that's not how Jesus did things. So this was a very interesting time. Um, the Roman government always responded accordingly to any uprising, which meant they squashed it, I mean, and fast. Jesus wasn't the only person who was crucified. You know that he had two other people crucified with him. But you guys, they crucified people all the time. And it wasn't high up on a mountain. They would crucify people um, at ground level along the road so that as you were coming into Rome, you could look these guys in the eye or their corpses as they were hanging on crosses lining the road, which was a statement that Rome had to say, if you want to you rebel against Rome, this is what will happen to you. So it was, a, it was just a crazy time. And this is what happened. In the year AD 49, AD 49, so Jesus had left the earth, gone up to heaven. All the Jews in Rome supposedly due to the, the trouble that they were causing in the city, were basically kicked out of Rome. And uh, as a result, many of them ended up in the city of Corinth. Okay? I don't know exactly how far away, but it was a nearby city. Um, now, here's why all this background is kind of important to note. Because the Jews in Corinth, in Corinth had come from a very, very different place. And so when they were in Rome, they realized um, they, were, they weren't accepted for their differences. They weren't accepted for their beliefs. They were persecuted for them. So when they ended up homeless and then in Corinth, they thought, um, we're not going to do this again. Our differences last time in this last city like, got us cast out. Um, so when they got to Corinth, and I'll get into all the crazy, well, not all the crazy stuff, but there was crazy stuff happening in Corinth. They basically thought, we're, we're not going to do that again. We're not going to let our differences show. We're going to blend in. We're going to try to fit in with the culture. And so um, that's what they did. That's what they did. But some of them kind of took it a little too far. So Corinth, as you maybe have heard, was, although it was a very accepting place, it promoted a lot of crazy practices through a lot of pagan religions. And when I say crazy practices, I basically mean sexual practices. Um, A lot of temples, a lot of like crazy prostitution kind of stuff, a lot of sexual stuff. Um, I haven't read about it in detail, but apparently it was like that. So, making up the church in Corinth, there were a lot of these Jews that were cast out of Rome, they converted to Christianity, and yet, they're, they're in the city of Corinth, and they're actually trying fairly hard to just fit in. In Rome, their differences got them kicked out, so to speak, and so they were playing it safe. And they did a lot of things that we, when the Apostle Paul heard about it or came to town, totally didn't endorse, right? And was pretty upset about it, even at times. So, Paul comes along and sees things differently. Paul knows that the way of Jesus is just better, that life with Jesus is better. And he tries to get these Christians say, worship the one true God. Don't fall into these pagan religions. And so he confronts them. And so in their trying to fit in and, and trying to be like everyone else, they start to shrink their world and they start to lose a proper perspective on who God is. So this is how Paul explains it to the church. And uh, you can turn here if you want 2 Corinthians 6. I'm reading this tonight just because I thought it was worded so well from the message. And the message isn't even a a translation. It's a paraphrase. I won't go into that. Um, This guy, Eugene Peterson, wrote this. So this isn't, this is kind of his own words. But this will be on the screens. He writes this, Dear, dear Corinthians, I I can't tell you how much I long for you to enter this wide open spacious life. We didn't fence you in. He's saying, us Christians, myself, us as apostles, we didn't fence you in. The smallness you feel comes from within you. Your lives aren't small, but you're living them in a small way. So 
Paul's making this passionate plea here to say, Corinthians, I want you to find new life in Christ. I want you to enjoy the, the freedom that a Christian life is supposed to bring. I don't want you to try to just fit in with the culture, just to look good, just to not stand out, to not get in trouble. They falsely saw their new faith as, uh, as restrictive, as, um, I don't know, not life-giving, and they just wanted to fit in. And I don't know, maybe all this like crazy sexual stuff going on at the temple or around them just pulled them in. They were human like we are. They needed a perspective change, and they needed someone on the outside to kind of set them straight, which is what Paul shows up to do. Now, they weren't all like this, and don't get the, don't get the picture that like, the whole church in Corinth was like totally screwed up, but there was a lot of them that were, and so Paul kind of has some, some pointed language here. Let's go on. He says this, in speaking, no, he says, I'm speaking as plainly as I can with great affection. Open up your lives. Live openly and expansively. And then he says this, don't become partners with those who reject God. How can you make a partnership out of right and wrong? That's not partnership, that's war. Is light best friends with dark? Does Christ go strolling with the devil? Do trust and mistrust hold hands? All of those statements, obviously a a blazing no answer to all of those, no. Who would think of setting up pagan idols in God's holy temple? Paul says, but that's exactly what we are. Each of us, a temple in whom God lives. God himself puts it this way, and so these are all quotes from the Old Testament right here. All live in them, God says. All live in them, move into them. I will be their God, and they will be my people. So leave the corruption and compromise. Leave it for good, says God. Don't link up with those who will pollute you. I want you all for myself. I'll be a father to you. You'll be sons and daughters to me, says the word of the master, God. So your NIV Bible or whatever translation you have says it a little differently. But I love this, like, the message, I think, just puts it in kind of a unique way. Um, These verses address a couple of different things here. And so, first of all, Paul's telling the Corinthians not to try so hard to fit in with a group of people that is so, so different than them. Um, So he's saying the worldviews of the pagans in Corinth and the Christians in Corinth, they're like polar opposites. So not only should you not try to fit in with the culture, but he's basically saying if you do fit in, you're, you're like abandoning life with God. You're starting to worship other gods, which we kind of talked about last week. You're starting to worship idols, other things, and you're just going to fall into the way of the culture. And so here's the cool part. The reason Paul is saying this stuff, it makes a lot of sense regarding our topic tonight. Because Paul's saying, like, open up your lives. I mean, again, what, like, what unity is there between you, a follower of God and a follower of, I don't know, nothing, an idol or something else? Your life is a temple to God. He starts quoting from the Old Testament, where God himself says, I want you all to myself. I'm your father. You're my children. And so again, to apply this, he's not saying like it's wrong to date or like you're going to find some girl that's going to maybe drag you away. Um, here's the deal. Like what does this have to do with us being single? It combats the message that you and I tend to hear in our society, that being single is somehow second rate. That somehow being in a relationship, like we're only somebody when we're with somebody else, when we have this guy on our arm. A lot of us sometimes fall into that in America. And maybe not a lot of you in here, you maybe know people who constantly move from one guy to the next, who always have to have a boyfriend or girlfriend. That sometimes we think the only way we're going to matter is when our relationship status isn't 
single. And so according to Paul, when we reflect a current culture that's gotten it wrong, we need to make an effort to be different. To look different, but to actually be different. We need to change our perspective from what culture says and what culture is telling us to do to what God tells us to do. And again, that's not news to us. We know that. But man, we will get drugged down into a culture that's taking us nowhere at times. And I'm not saying we need to be negative and like nitpicky on everybody else, but for us, if you're a Christian, we've got to let God speak to us first. Paul says if you're a Christian, God wants to take up residence in your life, that your life is a temple. And you go, what the, what's a temple? We don't have temples anymore. The temple is where God wants to dwell. The temple is where God lives. The temple's a place that God wants to inhabit. And not because you're in a relationship and not because you need to look so cool and try to fit in. Here's the thing. When we don't make an effort to get the right perspective, when we think our single status makes us less than whatever, that our single status makes us less than this girl over here who has a boyfriend, we're doing more than just shrinking our lives. We're shrinking the God who wants us, who wants us and has plans for us. And again, I'm not saying that being in a relationship is bad either, but don't, don't dismiss like, oh, my life, is, I'm only going to be somebody if I have a girl, if I have a guy. That's a lie. You guys, when, when you keep the state of mind that says being in a relationship trumps being single, you'll eventually find yourself going down a road that you probably don't want to go down. And a lot of times in relationships, I've seen this before, you, you will oftentimes start doing things um, start believing things, start excusing things that you never would have otherwise, but you do it for the sake of, maybe for the sake of him, just to keep him around. So that's a danger too. You're not dating right now maybe. When you get a guy, don't compromise who you are or what you believe or what you said you would never do for a guy or for a girl or for a relationship status. It's not a healthy way to live. See, even though our culture may tell us that being single is second rate, I don't want you to believe that, and it's a lie to believe that. Here's my, um, here's my bottom line for tonight. And again, I said a couple weeks ago, nothing crazy new in this series, um, but it's just this. I've said this already tonight, that single isn't second rate. Single isn't second rate at all. And again, neither is being in a relationship. I'm not saying that because relationship status isn't the point. Relationship status isn't the point. The point isn't trying to fit in or trying to define ourselves by our relationship status. Um, when we get this way and when we, when we live this way, our world tends to get consumed by one thing, which is usually him or her. The point I think God is saying, or like Paul is saying here, is start living bigger lives. See what God is up to in the world and join him in that. Um, enjoy the, for the freedom that you have. Enjoy your friendships. Maybe even girls, enjoy your guy friendships. Guys, enjoy your girl friendships. But it, God has so much bigger things maybe for you than right now in high school being in a relationship. And again, don't hear me say if you're in a relationship tonight. I'm not trying to mess with that. But man, there's a whole world of just of opportunity and things you can do right now. Some of you, man, I had a really good friend in high school who all four years of high school dated a girl, and I don't know what happened senior year, but they broke up. And I thought, man, when you think back to high school, you have one thought, and it's Christy Hendrick. 
And now you're married to some other girl and you have kids. But man, I bet you come across, I mean, and again, I'm not trying to, to break anyone up. To start with this, we need to realize that we have a heavenly father who loves us and who invites us to participate in what he's up to in the world. In the grand mission of God. And again, you can totally be used with a guy or a girl and as a, as a boyfriend or girlfriend, as a couple in high school. Single isn't second rate, and relationship status isn't the point. Here's one thing maybe to apply, um, just practically to your life. Um, I hope you don't beat yourself up too much that you maybe never had a boyfriend or never had a girlfriend or a guy hasn't even asked you to homecoming maybe or to prom or something. Um, I want you to live authentically. I hope that you can um, decide, make a decision to say, I'm going to lose the mask. I'm not going to try to be someone I'm not at school, when I go to school day in and day out, I'm going to live authentically. And I'm going to choose, I'm going to make a decision tonight to lose the mask. Because what do I have to lose? And impressing a guy isn't really worth it. And impressing a girl probably isn't going to get you anywhere anyway because she just doesn't like you or she's not that into you. Um, I had two relationships in high school and um, they were fine. But I tell you what, when they ended, both times I was just like, huh, it's nice to like, it's nice to be me again, and it's nice to be free again. And again, they weren't bad and they weren't wrong, um, but I remember both times feeling like this breath of fresh air, like I can just be myself again. So to kind of wrap this stuff up, this whole three weeks, and again, we'll wrap it up next week. But when it comes to dating, there's absolutely no shortage of advice. There's no shortage of, of tips we could offer. We just barely scratched the surface on some of these things. But on all three of these things, um, we felt like these were basic things that you need, you just need to know. We could go four more weeks on talking about this stuff. Some of you would hate that. Um, but man, when you're getting into a relationship, man, know that what's inside trumps what's on the outside. Sure, you need to be attracted to him and her, him or her, but that's not everything. And when you break up, man, I hope it doesn't crush you. So do that right and be careful. And if you're single, be content and know that single isn't second rate. Um, Remember this. We need to remember that we always have a lot to learn when it comes to relationships. And that's on the screen. But we have a lot to learn when it comes to relationships. And man, girls, guys are going to be hard to figure out. And man, guys, girls are going to be hard to figure out. And uh, if you have questions, that's the kind of stuff I hope you ask next week. Because we've never done a Q&A together before, guys and girls. We always tend to split up. We don't have any place to go. So we're going to stay together, and maybe that will be beneficial for, um, for both genders. Um, so maybe it starts with even just, just this, even just in, internalizing these three things we've covered. And uh, I think you'll really have a more healthy approach when you eventually start dating. So no, no matter what, when it comes to relationships, remember these three things and make sure you keep God a part of the process, all right? Let me pray. Father, um, I thank you for the fact that uh, many of us in here um, were single, and God, some of us in here hate that, and some of us love it. Some of us don't care. Some of us just aren't even in this world yet. Um, God, I pray that we would know that single isn't second rate. God, that you have plans for us that are good. And God, in the culture we live in that says, man, you need a girl. You need a guy to be complete. You need somebody to complete you. I pray that we wouldn't buy into that lie, God. I pray that we would be authentic, that we could lose the mask, that we would just have fun being who we are. God, I pray that we wouldn't seek every minute to try to impress someone of the opposite gender. 
that we wouldn't think we have to do that, that we wouldn't, I don't know, always be trying to look to the next girl or the next guy that we're going after. God, it's a good thing. Marriage is a good thing. Relationships are a good thing. God, but may we seek your timing for all of that. And God, for the relationships in here, God, I pray blessing on them. And I pray that you would, um, I pray that you would empower them and encourage them, that they would be pure. And God, that they would go on living um, in a way that honors you. And God, maybe they'll get married someday in a few years. But God, in all of this, God, we pray that you would be glorified. God, teach us how to do this relationship stuff and to do it well and to do it in a way that honors you. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.